please open your Bibles to Isaiah 6, 1 to 7. And today we're starting a new series titled Jesus in Your Future. And we're going to be going several different directions with Jesus in Your Future over the next month. And I hope to not keep to not let it go too much further over a month months because I do have a plan for about the next six to eight months. I'd like to keep somewhat close to, but with this this direction of Jesus in your future, I think it's a great time of year to be talking about several things. As we go into the new year, who is our God that we serve? And realizing that He's in full control. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But we're also going to be looking to putting off the old self, throwing away the things of old, and then moving into, transitioning into realizing that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, and we need to be living as such. We need to be realizing that we need to forget that old, push it away, and live for Christ with the new creation fully, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our souls. And then we'll continue the Jesus in our future as we look to the vision of this church, the vision of this body of believers into the future year, as we look to our vision statement for this church. Our vision for this church in the community is to know Christ personally, and then to make Him known. Whether that be in the church body, the community, or the world, that is our vision here at Bloomer Baptist Church, is to know Christ and make Him known. So we're going to be going several different directions with this, Jesus in your future. But today, as we look to Jesus in your future, we're looking to you. And we're looking to the new year with this title right here, New Year Fear, A New Year's God, Isaiah 6, 1-7. And allow me to explain this title just a little bit. You see, I am really looking forward to a new year. I'm looking forward to new opportunities, new choices, and a new start here in Bloomer as we've already started. But I look forward to the new relationships that I continue to make and the new ministries that we continue to serve in and we continue to learn under. And I hope that you also find yourself looking forward to the future and to the new year which is knocking at our front door as today is New Year's Eve. It is still New Year's Eve, right? Yes, the 31st of December. So tonight at midnight, we'll be celebrating that we're in a new year. However, as this year ends, I also realize that the new year with these new opportunities also brings about change. And it brings about a new fear, a New Year's fear. We fear the unknown. We fear the idea of change to our lives. And believe me, I fully understand this fear of change as we've recently gone through a lot of change as I have recently moved our entire family and everything we know from Ohio up here to Wisconsin. And it has been a great change. But I'd like to give some advice to this change, advice to the New Year's fear, something that has helped me in the past few months. You see, as, as you look to the future, we need to focus our attention not just on a new year, new opportunities, and new choices. We need to not just focus our attention on these new resolutions, New Year's resolutions, but we need to focus our attention on a New Year's God. Now let me explain that just a little bit further. So you see in Hebrews 13:8, we read, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So I'm not trying to say that, but what I'm, I'm not meaning that God is going to change. But your understanding of who God is, is what needs to change. I'm not trying to say that you need to worship a new God. 
in, in the essence of a new idol or, or a, a different God. Because there's only one true God, and that's the one who we're here today to serve. That's the one who we're here today to praise and to worship and to look into His Word, the Bible. He is the only true God. But Psalm 28.7 tells us, The Lord is my strength and shield, and in Him my heart trusts. In Him my heart trusts. I think, and I, what I fear, is that we don't have a true understanding of who our God is. So when I say a New Year fear and a New Year's God, what I mean is that we need to deepen our understanding of who our God is. We need to look into God's Word and really look to Him as we look to these New Year's fears. We need to look to Him for our strength. We need to look to Him as our shield. And we need to remember that we need to trust in Him. Don't put your trust into this world. Don't put your trust into your family and friends. We should trust them. But if we trust them with everything we have, when they let us down, we're going to feel lost. We need to realize that God is the one that is in full control. We need to have a right vision of who God is and how powerful He is. We're coming upon a new year, and people are making a lot of resolutions for change. Choices to change. What are your resolutions? What are the resolutions the world is making? I think almost all of us, whether we write them down, we put them on the fridge, we put them in our phones to remind us, we all at least think mentally of what resolution are we going to make? What change are we going to make? And for most people, it's something like a diet or exercising. I know I could use to do some more exercising. I could definitely use to watch what I eat. So lately we have a joke in our house because our scale is not working. And so I, I said that we need to buy some new batteries. Well, then we said we might as well wait to buy the new batteries until spring because we're not going to like what it says all winter anyways. But everybody has these New Year's resolutions. No, no more smoking, no more drinking, better relationships, whether it be with people in the community, with family, with friends, or whether it be seeking a better relationship with God. Or maybe it's we have a New Year's resolution that we want to meet somebody in our life. God desires for you to change as well. But a lot of times it just does not happen. Whether it be the resolutions that we make in the world or the resolutions we make to know our God better, we have the best of intentions, but we find ourselves making excuses or allowing other things to get in the way and prevent us from accomplishing these goals that we're setting in our lives. We fail to remember that in the Lord we find our strength and shield. In the Lord we trust. And I think we all struggle with this. I believe that a lot of this is because we may be scared, afraid. We may fear the future that a new year brings. Because even though it sounds like good stuff to exercise, to diet, to change, even though it sounds like good stuff, and it is, to be in God's Word more, to have better church attendance, to have better attendance to the Bible studies, or to be there for your neighbors, the community. It's all great, but it involves change. It involves putting yourself in hard situations or out of your comfort zone as well. But we need to remember that even when the future scares us, we can still trust that God is in full control. That's the advice that I'm getting at here for you today, is realizing that God is in full control. We need to give it all to Him. But because we fail to have a proper understanding of who He really is, we fail to look to how He tells us to live. 
So I want us to look to Isaiah 6, 1-7 today. And if you could please stand as we read this one more time. If you have your Bibles open, please stand up with those as well. And I just think it brings respect to God and His Word as we stand and we read it. I know we've read it once, but I'm also a fan of rereading and rereading. So it really pounds it into our heads and we really understand the meaning behind it. So let's read Isaiah 6, 1-7, I do have it on the slides in front of you as well. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, of the, King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Thank you. You may be seated. So before we dig into this, before we look too much into this, allow me to give you some background here. So this was an uncertain time in the world. King Uzziah had recently died, or at least he was dead in the way that he was no longer able to fulfill his duties as a king. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. But life was about to change. As Uzziah was dying, or Uzziah was no longer able to fulfill his duties as king, life was about to change. What would happen next? Who would rule the kingdom? Who would be there for them? Who would look out for them? Who would protect them from invasion of bordering, bordering armies? The life for Isaiah and his, and his people would both be changing. And Isaiah was being prepped by God for his calling to be a prophet of God. A prophet who would announce the coming judgment of the world. The coming judgment of Judah. And the coming, the future coming of the Messiah, of Jesus. Isaiah would have a vision of Israel's true king seated upon the throne. Amidst this time of instability, Isaiah saw a vision of God on the throne, a vision which left him with such an awe-striking, awe-inspiring, overwhelming view of God's holiness that Isaiah was left with an overwhelming, realistic view of his own sinfulness, his own unworthiness. He was not worthy to see God in such a way. He was not worthy to see God in any way, but God presented himself in front of him. He's reminded that God is in control and he is holy. We struggle with this as well in our life as we look to our own ways and we think we can fix anything, such as the heaters this morning. I find it funny that I went in to pray with the men before we began service and we did pray for the heat. We prayed, Lord, we know you are the one in control. And it's funny how these things remind us of that. Little things like this can remind us that we're not in control, but God is. And I came out, and the guy's got the heat working. So praise God. But it is a reminder that we struggle with thinking, 
We can fix anything. And then when something goes wrong in our life, our life is wrecked. We don't know how we're going to move on. We don't know how we're going to go on until we realize that we're not in control and we never were. God is in control. We are unworthy. Isaiah may have been fearing a new year, a new opportunity, a new change, just as you. And you're fearing, just like the people, what is going to happen? Was King Isaiah no longer at his throne? And he has a vision that we can all learn a few things from. But how would this scene look for him? How would it look for you? First, we see a little bit more background that King Isaiah had recently died, or at least he was unable to continue his reign. But what you should know is he had reign, he, he had been in reign as the king for 52 years approximately. 52 years of a very good reign as king and protecting the people. But he was also suffering from leprosy. And from my research, that leprosy could have been a judgment upon him by God or punishment or consequences for not trusting in God, not respecting God for who he is. Not glorifying God, whether it be in himself, in his own life, and how he ruled, or in his kingdom. They had false altars and false idols. They were not looking to God as he should. It was at this time, King Isaiah's death, that Isaiah started his public ministry. And he received the prophecies of the first five chapters. But it's not until now that we find this story, this, this illustration, this example from Isaiah of how he was called. And in his vision, we start with this. We start with God was seen high and lifted up. High and lifted up. So can you even imagine? Let's just stop here and, and think about a New Year's fear. Can you imagine the fear that you might have as you are transported from your current physical place? And it probably wasn't a physical transportation of Isaiah, but who found himself unconscious to what's going on here, and he's transported somehow, all we can do is think about it how, into the presence of God. So all of a sudden, he sees God seated high and lifted up. What fear would you have if you're standing in front of your God all of a sudden? And you're thinking about your life, you're thinking about all that you've done. All that you haven't done. Or maybe it's not fear, but maybe you just have this awe. Wow, I can't believe I'm here in front of God. And you wouldn't be able to help yourself but to fall to your knees as you think about your presence, who you're in the presence of. The fear or anxieties that you might have with being called to such an important task. We must have a proper view of, a God, of God to accomplish His will, to serve Him, to not fear the future and the year to come. And that's what we see Him go through here. The many things that God is trying to call you to do with your life. To live this life as a Christian and making the choices He would have us make. As we give our fears to Him, following Him, He equips us. I am scared to follow God's direction up here to Wisconsin. I shared that with you, that it was a big change for us. But what I found is, although I was scared to become a senior pastor, a head pastor of a church, and a shepherd through this church body, although I was scared to move from Wisconsin, it was I had an easy life, I was in my comfort zone, I loved doing what I was doing, but God was calling me to a new path. What I found is as I accepted that, I told God, God, I am yours. I will follow you wherever you call me to be. I will do whatever you call me to do 
I found that he equipped me. He brought about this peace and this comfort. And a lot of times the, the lack of peace, the lack of comfort we find is because we're not following God. We're not doing what he needs us to do, what he's calling us to do. Or we don't have a proper view of who, of who God is and who he should be in our life. But I began to see how he's equipping me to do his will. And I was saying things, I was doing things I never even knew I could do. All because I realized that God was in control. If we're seeking to do what he is calling us to do, then he'll provide for us as he rolls over our life. So with that, we see a vision, a vision of him high and lifted up. And this is at a place of respect, a place where we are to look up to him, to look to him. Just as a king would be looked to for guidance or counsel, or just as a king would be high and lifted up so he could look upon and rule over his kingdom. Our God is seen high and lifted up on the throne so that he can rule over his kingdom. Not that he would have to be high and lifted up, because he is everywhere. And he knows everything, and he is all-powerful and in full control. But he is lifted up to a place of respect. High and lifted up, ruling over the world, his creation, and his people. Next, we see the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I looked to a lot of other translations with Isaiah 6 here. And even this morning, as I was reading through my message and thinking through it, I thought about bringing up several translations here. But I thought, in carrying a stack about this high, I'd be throwing all these Bibles on the table here. But I thought about bringing all these. I looked at the ESV, the English Standard Version, which I normally preach from. I looked to the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, which is a newer translation, but very much in line with the ESV. I looked to the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. I looked to the KJV, the King James Version, the New Living Translation, and even the Message. And I looked at so many different translations and commentaries to look into this. And what I found so interesting in my research is as we look to the train of his robe filled the temple. And as I cross-referenced and looked at these translations, that some translations actually say, the hymn alone filled the temple. So train, hymn, I don't know, I think of the hymn of the train, or the hymn of his robe, and I think of a hymn on my pants. I think that just the hymn alone, the, just the train alone filled the entire temple. Now, what is the significance in that? Let me read to you here. I did some research and found the significance of the length of the train or how big it was. In ancient times, when a king had won a great victory and defeated an enemy, the king would walk through the battleground and take for his men this oils. But the greatest recognition for the king that he had been victorious was signified when he would have a piece of the defeated king's robe cut off and then sewn onto the battle of the, the bottom of the train of his own robe. For a king in Old Testament times, the length of his robe, or the train, would therefore be a sign or an indication of his greatness. The longer his train, the more victories he had won and the more kings he had defeated. Our God reigns victoriously. And as I read this, and I know it's not so much that he was in these physical battles, um, defeating all these earthly <coughs> kings, which in a way he was, but we have this reminder of just 
how much majesty, how holy our God is, how victorious our God is, that his train, his hem of his robe, filled the entire room. The other thing I think of with a train is a bridal gown, a wedding dress. And how it used to be, I don't think it is as much anymore, but brides wanted these long trains on their dresses. It was very elegant. But especially when it came to princesses being married um, in movies, you see a lot of times these ha they have these very long trains because it shows, or they wanted you to think it shows, how important they are. How important their kingdom is, or the life is. Well, here we see the train of God's robe filled the entire room. We're reminded that our God reigns victoriously. Maybe you fear the new year and the change because you're afraid of failure. Maybe you fear the resolutions you may make because you know that you've failed at these in the past. I don't know about you, but every year I make certain resolutions or I think, oh man, this new year I need to get my life on track. I need to... I need to start losing some weight. I need to do better with my watching what I eat. I need to read the Bible more. Even, all of us wants to read God's Word more. And maybe we today even think, you know what, I shouldn't even make that resolution because I failed at it before. Why should I keep on trying? Have you trusted God to help you? Have you trusted and realized that God is victorious and He reigns? With all of his majesty, all of his holiness, all of his righteousness, all of his power. And if we look to him, and if our resolutions are really where they should be, if the changes that we're wanting to make in our life are really changes that he would desire to see in your life, then he's going to help you to make those happen. Resolutions which honor and glorify him alone and not yourself. If you're doing these things in this way, then I believe he will be victorious in your life, too. This vision is also to be noted that it's going beyond the earth and into the temple of God. Isaiah's body may have still been on earth, but he was in front of his Lord, the king. And as we read on, we see the description of the seraphim. I've always kind of had this, this interest in the seraphim and the, the cher cherubim and the angels of God and for obvious reasons, I can't describe them as much as I would like to, because I've never seen one. But the description that we do see in God's Word is just an awesome, it's an awesome description, a, an amazing experience. And if you Google it even, as I try to picture what this might have looked like, you see some of these pictures that people have come up with, these artists have tried to paint, based off the many descriptions that we have in God's Word, what they might look like. You just take a breath and say, wow, God created all of that. The word, the, word, um, the word seraphim comes from a Hebrew word meaning fiery angels or burning ones. And the description that we see is somewhat similar but much different than the living creatures we see in Revelation 4. Or the cherubim we see in Ezekiel or many other angels as we see Six winged creatures. So picture that now in your head that we're seeing as we read in Isaiah 6. Six winged creatures. But each wing was being used in the scene. It's not that God created these six winged creatures and they just used two to fly around. Or they used all six to fly around. But every wing had a purpose. Two wings to cover his face. They dared not look upon the face of the Lord directly, upon God's glory, 
directly because God's glory is so overpowering that it would just take them over. It would consume them. It could blind them. It would be too overpowering. Have you ever tried to stare into the sun? How about the solar eclipse? I hope you didn't. Maybe that's why I see some glasses on some people's faces. But the, the solar eclipse, the sun is just so overpowering. You can't even stare at it with a special filter. But the glory of God is so overpowering that even these divine angels, these, these divine seraphim that God created, and that were serving God, they're created for this purpose. Even they cannot look upon God. There's no filter for them. They covered their eyes with two of the wings. Two wings were to cover their feet. Even though these creatures serve God, they're too lowly to deserve a right to step upon the holy dark ground where God's presence is. And then two wings to fly. Two wings to fly. So at all times, it looks like they had two wings available to fly. And the significance here is that they needed to have these two wings open to be able to serve God. Sometimes we try to do too much with our own life. We don't allow ourselves the freedom to be able to serve God because we're trying to do too much. Instead of allowing ourselves two wings to be open, to fly, and to serve Him, we, we do so many sports, so much with our jobs, so much with our family, so much with our friends, that we can't even come to church. We can't come to Wednesday night or Thursday morning Bible studies. Maybe we even say, I don't have time to read the Bible. Can I get up at 4 a.m. to go to work? We try to do too much. Even the seraphim here, they had their wings reserved to shield their eyes, to fly, to serve Him, and to cover their feet. To carry out all of His orders. The presence of God is one which should be respected and honored. One not to be taken for granted. And they also use their lips, their voices, as they praise the Lord, saying, as they talked amongst each other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This is another one that the different translations would say a little bit differently. They say the Lord of angel armies. The whole earth is full of His glory. And this isn't a new saying. We see it throughout Scripture. But one we have all heard before, which brings power to this Scripture, brings authority to this Scripture. It reminds us that God's glory fills the earth. God's glory controls the angel armies and as He controls the angel armies, He also controls us in our lives. Our God reigns victoriously. They were filled with an overflowing joy to serve God. A joy that was so overflowing that they couldn't control themselves but to sing this, to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts amongst Himself. Are we filled with so much joy going into the new year and understanding the privilege we have to serve such a holy God that we too are going out into the community with our lives, letting everybody know we serve the God that is seated on the throne. We serve the God that is in control. And no matter who's on the throne of, with the president or the kings of the world, God is the one that's in control anyways. That's what God was reminding Isaiah here of. Despite Isaiah dying, no longer being in control, he needed to look to the one that is in full control always since the beginning of creation. But are we praising God like this with our lives, our voices, our actions? Do we look to Him? Do we respect Him? I think the word respect kind of 
brings it all together because maybe we do look to God. We look to Him for certain things, but do we truly respect Him in such a way that we're afraid to let Him down because we know of how unworthy we are for what He gives us anyways? Do we respect the holiness, the glory, the righteousness, and the power of our God? As we read on, we see the awe-inspiring holiness, the glory of God. As we read... And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. You see, our God is like a consuming fire. The smoke was consuming the temple. But the great thing about this is, although the smoke is filling the temple, it doesn't overtake him. It doesn't destroy him. But that's what Isaiah was afraid of, is he was so unworthy to be in God's presence. Was how he was living his life, just like the people of the kingdom, was how he was talking. He wasn't using his life all for God as he should. And he realized, I am unworthy, and I'm standing here, I'm kneeling here, I'm before a holy God that deserves so much better. Woe is me. Another translation put it, doomsday, doomsday. I'm standing amidst doomsday. He was afraid that he was about to be doomed to his life because of where he was. The God whose creation displays an immeasurable perfection and power and glory. Just a speck of what he is capable of. Look to the universe as it displays the glory of God. In Psalm 19, want to read, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I think that is only a speck of what he's capable of. Well, capable of. We could never really fully understand God's power and wisdom and what he is capable of, his holiness, his righteousness, because all we compare him to is people we know of this world, the power we see on this earth. Nothing can be compared to God, though. Sinful man has failed to show him the respect of glorifying him as he deserves. Do we glorify him as he deserves? Because I don't think we do. Do we have a proper understanding of who God is? I don't think we do. Because if we had a proper understanding of who God is and what he's capable of, we would not fear the new year. But we would look forward to the new year as we see that we have nothing to fear of because of the God we serve. The only thing we have to fear is God himself. And we should fear God for the power and the glory that he has. For us being so unworthy, we never truly could show him the respect, show him the understanding that he deserves. But we should be trying with everything we have to look to his word. To live our life as he would want us to live. If we even slightly understood what he is, who he is, we would change our lives as we want to be closer to him. We must also be truly looking to make choices in our life which coincide with God and his will. Choices which glorify and honor him. In getting back to Isaiah, we find that in light this of this obvious realization of where he is, who he is before, he finds himself in a place of repentance. He was reminded of his unworthiness of being God's presence, of even existing, let alone serving God as a prophet. 
We too must have such a realization of God's glory, His holiness, that we come to Him in repentance, realizing that we are unworthy to even be in existence. But God loves us so much that He created us to have a relationship with Him. The vision here broke Isaiah in a way that he realized he could do nothing alone. And he was not worthy of doing anything with God either. Yet God allows us to serve. God allowed Isaiah to serve. God had a plan, a purpose, a will for Isaiah's life. And God has a purpose for you as well. But we must repent of our old selves. We must realize that God called Isaiah and he called you too. To serve him with our life. We must realize that we are not alone in this new year. God has equipped us with all we need to follow Him and His will. We're equipped to do battle against not just the worldly forces we see, but the spiritual forces that are at work in this world. We must not fear a new year, but instead we must look to Him in a new, deeper way. For some, the new year is exciting. For me, I'm excited right now for the new year and the new opportunities that I have to serve in a new community and to get to know each of you. But for some, the new year brings about fear and anxiety and stress. We must realize and we must remind those people that God is in control and He has a purpose for your life. A habit. It takes 66 days to form a habit. 66 days as you work to trust God more this year with your life. What will you do to make spiritual decisions stick? What will you do to make what you're changing actually stick? 66 days. A lot of times these New Year's resolutions, how you're trying to change your life, they don't stick because you don't continue to do it for 66 days. So I'd like to give you a few recommendations on resolutions to help you to have a New Year's God, to put away your New Year's fear and allow God to make you a New Year you. First, one, commit to yourself to forget your failures. It's hard to move into a new year and continue to focus on the new if you're still stuck on the old. And we're going to be talking next week more about putting away the old. But we must, number one, put away the old. Forget your failures. Number two, commit to yourself to give up your grudges. Give up your grudges. How can you continue to look to the new? How can you forgive as Christ forgave you? How can you allow people opportunities to serve and to help you? And how can you love on them if you still hold a grudge against them? <coughs> Number three, commit yourself to restore your relationships. Commit yourself to restore your relationships just as God restored His relationship with you. Even though we did not deserve it. Even though we are unworthy. We must restore the relationships in this life with those around us. But start with restoring your relationship with God. And then allow that restored relationship to dictate how you restore those relationships around you. Don't wait for those people to don't wait for you to feel like those people are worthy of your forgiveness. But instead, know in your heart, know in your mind that they don't forgive, they, they, they're not worthy of forgiveness. But neither am I. Restore your relationships. And then lastly, commit yourself to turn your back on your transgressions. Romans 6.2 Look to the future and trust God with your life. I'd like to remind you in closing of Ephesians 6.10 where we read, 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, in the strength of His might. We can't be strong in our own might because we're not mighty. But we serve a mighty God, a victorious God. We must look to Him for strength. We must look to Him as our shield to this world. And if you continue reading and study forward during this section of Scripture, you'll find the armor of God explained. You will be reminded that we will battle much in this world, but you also find that God is the one we must focus on. And God does not, does not expect us to fight the battle, the spiritual forces of this world, alone. He also does not expect us to fight empty-handed. The problem is not the new year and new opportunities or new choices. The problem is that we try to do too much on our own. God created us to have a relationship with Him. All we must do is trust in Him, trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and look to Him for strength. Look to Him as a shield. Look to Him for life. Wherever you go this next year, whatever you're up against, I encourage you to remember to look to Him in His might. You're not alone. Do not look to yourself, but look to God and the God you serve. And even when the future scares you, even when tomorrow scares you today, even when you don't know how you're going to get through this weekend because of what the world is throwing at you, realize that our strengths does not come from ourselves. Our strengths come from God. And God is in full control. God is seated upon the throne. A new year you should be one which realizes that God is in control. So as you look to the new year fears, remember that you serve a God which is in full control. Allow me to close in prayer as the worship team comes up. Lord, we thank you that as we look to, to a new year and to our lives, we realize that we're not alone and we don't have to fear what's coming upon us. We don't have to fear the new year, the changes that might happen in our lives because we know that we have you in our lives and you are mighty, you're victorious, and you're seated upon the throne, high and lifted up. Glory. And Lord, I pray that we respect you and we honor you, we glorify you for who you are with our lives this next year and everything we do, we do to glorify you.